today we're going to be in Romans 1, uh, 24 through 32. But either way, I'm saying this for Drew, basically. Uh, I will let the Spirit lead in either way. So I won't, I won't, hinder, I won't hinder the Spirit. Um, I won't hinder the Spirit by uh, being constrained to a time frame. Um, we're in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. This will be a two-parter, um, verses 24 through 32, because if you've read ahead, you'll see that Paul lists, like, of sin, you know, a, a huge a huge list of, of why, uh, of, of the depravity of mankind. And I'm not going to sit there and like go in depth into every one of them, but there are some nuances about each one of them that will be interesting to mention, uh, will be interesting to mention next week. But, um, we're going to be in Romans 1, 24 through 32, probably really go through 24 through 28 today. Um, but as you remember, over the last few weeks, we've discussed the wrath of God. And really what we find in Romans, um, all the way to basically Romans 3, is God's story of the wrath and the human condition of mankind. And today we'll read one of the most saddening and ominous passages in all of Scripture. Uh, what we find three times mentioned in our passage today is that God gives up on mankind. God gives up on mankind. It's reinforced three times in our passage today. I want to read, um, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read through the verse 32, Romans 1, 24 through 32, and, and see, uh, as the title of my sermon says, when God gives up on you. Therefore, God gave them up. This is one the first time. In the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up, second time, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged unnatural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Man, I was hit by that. We're going we're gonna to sit on that one next week. Inventors of evil. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. My kids should be hit by that one. Foolishness, faithless, heartless, Ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do not, they, excuse me, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Pray with me this morning. Lord, would you wash us of the depravity of mankind? 
Lord, not so that we can say, look at us, look at how different we are than you, but so that we can say, what a great God who shows mercy to a great sinner. Lord, would you wash us? Would you cleanse us by your word? Would you cleanse us through your spirit and grow us more into the image of your son? Would you help us to be more like Jesus in every way, seeking to be holy as he is holy? Lord, we know that because of the fall and because of sin, Lord, we are given up to our own sin. But we also know and understand the great rescue that comes through Jesus. Would you help us to trust in, hope in, and rely upon that rescue as we become more like him? We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the worst feelings a person can have, I think, is the feeling of being abandoned. It's why I often say, I don't know that this is the most godly thing to say, but I often say, you have my trust as long as you want it. But you break it once and it's going to be really hard for you to get it back. That's sort of my thing. I trust people like without any sort of equity built in, without any sort of reason. I trust people. I'm like, I trust you. You know, you haven't proven me wrong. But if you prove me wrong, it's like, good luck. Because I think one of my greatest fears is that feeling that I've been betrayed and subsequently abandoned by someone. It's a feeling that crushes children. If you've, some of you are fostering and, and have seen those issues who, who end up carrying those feelings, even if it happens at a very young age and they've had a stable home, they end up carrying those feelings for a long time, often into teenage years and adult years. Often, abandonment is not something people deserve or earn. As a matter of fact, when we see it on this earth, earth it is often one, um, the one that does the abandoning has the, has the problems, right? Whether it's substances or selfishness or other things that would keep them from those that, they, that love them. So when we think of the, t- the sermon title, when God abandons you, you know, it might make us think, well, this doesn't sound like what I know about abandonment, and this doesn't sound like what I know about God. God wouldn't do these things. You know, we, we are promised that he would never leave us or forsake us, or that he pursues us with an unending, unending love, which these things are very true, but we must ask ourselves, for whom are those promises written? Are they written for the world in general or for those who are under the blood of Christ? I think most of you know the answer to that, but truly something wonderful must be seen. The gospel is not beautiful until we see the entire story. And the entire story is that God gave up on Adam and Eve. He gave them everything that they needed to follow Him, but they wanted to be like Him in every way. So they abandoned God for sin. And since they abandoned God, God abandoned them. But not only that, Adam's sin put all of mankind in a state of sin and misery. And this is important. All of mankind has been abandoned by God because of sin and has been left to their own sin. Why is this beautiful? 
It's probably not a question for many of you, but just in case. Why would God giving up on mankind be beautiful? Well, because it just highlights the fact that man in his state of sin and misery has no ability on his own to get God, to get back to God, or to get God to love him. But the God who gave up also pursues. And he pursues his elect, those that he calls to salvation. He pursues with that everlasting and unending never-failing love. Unlike worldly abandonment, God giving up on us is something we deserve. We see this as a pattern of humanity since the fall of mankind, since the Garden of Eden. Psalm 81, 11 and 12, when the Lord talking about abandonment, he says this, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their counsels. When speaking of Israel, the Lord says this in Hosea, Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When you're a teenager and your brother enter, your teenage girl and your brother enters into your room and you say, leave me alone, it's like a good feeling, right? But when you're talking about the God of the universe leaving us alone, leaving us to our own devices, it is a desperate, desperate thing. The gospel echoes the words of the, the Old Testament Multiple times we see in the Gospel of Matthew the word paradidomi, which means to give up into custody or into judgment as it concerns man and his sin. What a lonely feeling it is to be given up and alone in this vast universe. But the truth is that when God gives up on us, we deserve it because we have already given up on him. When I think about this, I think of how mean I am to my kids in stores and specifically places where I can quickly and easily hide from them. There have been times where we were like at an antique mall or some other place that has a lot of stuff. And um, I'd ask my kids multiple times, you know, stay close to me. Don't go too far. Be, you know, get back here or, you know, whatever it is that you say to your children. You throw something at them to sort of knock them down so they have to, you know, come back to you. And they would slowly see something and they would wander off. They would get caught up in whatever it was that was so magical that they needed or that they wanted. Um, that had nothing, especially in antique malls. It's the funniest thing. It's like a mason jar and they're like, oh, daddy, look, this is the most amazing. No, it's just, it's not. So but they would wander off and they would look at uh, something that was so special. And what I would do, especially if there was an easy place to hide, after multiple times of asking them to stay close, I would, you know, jump behind something to where I could hide but still see them. And after a while, the gaze of whatever they were looking off at would wear off, and they would look around and look quickly. And, of course, I'm observing from a very good vantage point, so there's this look of fear 
there's this, there's this feeling, you, the feeling of abandonment you can almost like see coming out of their uh, emotions. There's fear and panic and sadness. And the truth is they deserve to be lost because they didn't heed my word to stay close. And there's another part of the story, though, that's, that's beautiful, and it's that even though that look of panic and that look of sadness was so great, it's that relief when I step around the corner. I don't do this to play God with my kids, by the way. I just want you to know. Like, this is just something I do because I'm a jerk, and I'm using it as an illustration right now. Um, there's this look of relief as I walk around the corner, and they see me again, and it's like, they, without fail, they run back. Without fail, they come back to me. Without fail, they remember, oh, he said stay close, and they get close. Now, some of y'all's kids are so wild that, I mean, you got at least one that even if you hid from them, they would just like find their way through the rest of the store, and they'd be like waiting, at you, waiting on you at the front. So this illustration falls apart for you. But, but for the most part, um, at least my first two, we'll, we'll work on that with Emily, but at least my first two, they're, they're timid enough to where they, they'll come back to me. They'll know that they don't want to be lost. They don't want to be abandoned. They want to be close to their dad. We were often like those wandering children. One minute we are safe in the gaze and the care of our father, and the next minute a distraction pulls us away. It may be something shiny or something harmless or, or something new, but it has our attention for a moment. And then it wears off and we're able to break our stare after looking at it for a very long time and loving it and wanting it and needing it. And then we look around and we realize that our God, our creator, our sustainer, our protector is nowhere to be found. He isn't there. And it isn't that we wandered off. It isn't that he wandered off from us, but that we wander off from him. So often, instead of running back to him, we find the next new thing, and we fill our eyes and our, our emotions and our heart with that thing. What we find from God is this. As it concerns our running away from God, and the scripture in general says this. We find it from Paul. We, the scripture in general says it is that our sin isn't just a small rebellion of faithful people. Our sin is never petty or never small. God is never indifferent about it. But our sin truly is high treason against a holy God. And since he cannot have counsel with sin, he gives people up. We can see clearly that the Lord gives up on mankind because of their sin, but what does the Bible say this looks like? What do we know about being given up? I'm going to give you a few points today, three points really about what we know about being given up, and then there's some sub-points that are not up here that are not necessarily prime points. If you want to write them down, you can, and I'll denote those as we go along. First thing you need to see is that since the Lord has given up on man, man has lost the ability to think clearly. This is vastly important. 
this, these, I'm hoping to explain to you, if you don't already know, some reasoning why you can look at a non-Christian and you can look at a Christian and they can have two of the same upbringings with two completely different mentalities. Or you can look at a non-Christian with completely different upbringings and you can think, how could they ever get to that point? You know, and I, I'm not, I don't mean that in a judgy sense, but I, I mean that in sort of a diagnostic sort of way. But since the Lord has given up on man, man has lost the ability to think clearly. Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And, verse 28, And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Multiple times in the verses that I just read, Paul mentions mankind being given up in Thought life. And I think it's drastically important that we understand that abandoning God and God abandoning us is a process. And in that process, the first thing that usually goes in our holiness is our mind, is our thought life, our ability to use godly discretion and godly discernment. This goes from our, the, uh, this goes from our understanding about God, what we know about God, what we have widely accepted as true about God. And it extends to our understanding about His will, His holy will, what He wants for our lives, what He wants for the lives of all people everywhere. Very few people start, think, uh, start their life off thinking, well, you know what, I'm just going to be a rebel against God. Very few people at five or six look at this Jesus stuff and say, this is for t- babies, this is for two-year-olds, not, like, not for big boys like me. Very few people start off their early life thinking that I'm just going to be a rebel against God. But what happens is over time that lies and distrust and unbelief creeps in and it is a result of the fall of mankind in general, but it is a result of personal sin of being allowed to go unchecked in our life. And so one of the things, one of the first things that is proof that personal sin has allowed to go unchecked in our lives, that we have, been, we have abandoned God because of our sin life, is that God gives our thought life. He gives us up to a depraved thought life. Paul explains how this depravity of mind comes about. He says, and this is one of those subpoints. He he says, under the thought life being given up, they exchange a the truth of God for a lie. They exchange the truth for a lie. What does this mean? Simply, it simply means this. It simply means when someone says the truth of God, the truth of God is what that He is God, that He is the Creator God, that He is the Sustainer God, that He created things in an order and and He sustains it in that same order. That we are under His will, that we are under His submission, that He is the final authority, that He is holy, He is true, He is right, He is good, He is worthy of honor and praise, He is worthy of glory. And exchanging that truth for a lie is just doing the exact opposite, saying that he is not God, that we can't know God, that there is not one God, that there is no God that's holy, there is no God that's honorable, there is no God that is worthy to be followed and worthy to be trusted and worthy to be praised and that there is no truth. 
And then if all of that is true, then I can live by my own standard. I can do what I want to do. And ultimately, I am the God of my own universe, and you are the God of your own universe, and let's just leave each other alone. One of the sure signs of a depraved mindset is the inability to see the truth of God as true. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship the creature. That's another aspect of a depraved mind. They worship the creature and not the creator. Throughout history, throughout the history of the world, this has been true. Idols were carved and gods were formed for every area of life. And we talked about this when we were in Exodus. Remember, we discussed this. There was a small God for every aspect of life. People do this, and here's why, and this is huge. You need to understand this. People do this, and they rightly or they wrongly attribute everything that belongs to God to individual gods, because if you, tr- if you really understand everything that belongs to God, you have to at that point see how mighty He is, how great He is, how worthy of worship He is, and there's a great amount of fear that must follow that when you don't worship Him. But instead, they give credit uh, not to God, but they give credit to other things. Man in his depraved mind worships the waters and not the one who parts it. They worships the sun and not the one who makes it rise. He worships the earth and not the one that keeps it on its axis. This is why I have a fundamental problem with climate change wackos. And there is no other way about it. Climate change wackos. Friends, I'm 100% sure that God intends for us to take care of this planet. To not litter. To not poison the earth by... um, That's a long discussion and probably not a sermon, but we can talk about it in in different ways. To not abuse animals, etc. He wants us to have a concern for our environment. But these climate change wackos are a religion in and of themselves. You have a woman who most recently, and some people are saying she was a plant at this, at this town hall meeting, but you have a woman mo- most recently who is, who is promoting eating your own children to lower CO2 emissions. There's only one way. We only have a few months, she says. We must eat our own children to lower CO2 emissions. And even if she's a plant, this is not far off from what these people are saying. These people are also saying, we are not procreating until you do something about the climate. To which I say, praise the Lord, please just don't procreate. If, we, if, you, if your breed was in, extinct, then we would all be better for it. But, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. They're saying we're not going to procreate because children are a nuisance to the climate and not what we all should see as beneficial and something that we, you know, as Christians, we see them as little image bearers, as people we raise up to, to, to praise God and worship God. Friends, I want to tell you, the plants worship God, but they don't worship God like the mouths of babes. The animals worship God just by being created, but they don't worship God like men and women. These people worship creation and ignore the Creator altogether. They attribute, hear me, this again, probably not a sermon, but probably another discussion we can have. They attribute cyclical climate changes as being unnatural, and they have zero trust in the God who created and sustains the climate. Again, 
Not an excuse for you to just be flippant with the creation that God has given us. As a matter of fact, as Christians, we should be the biggest proponents of a healthy environment. Because God gave us the earth and the animals to rule over, not in a dictatorial way, but in a godly and God-honoring way. But in the same sense, He did not give us creatures to worship. We are to worship the Creator, not the creatures. So they worship the creature, Paul says. And then they did not acknowledge God at all. They gave the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped the creature and they did not acknowledge God at all. A sure sign of a cloud, clouded mind is the insane thought that there is no God at all. Friends, have you ever wondered how two people can look at the same thing and come up with two completely different conclusions? How one man can look at creation and its, intricacy and its intricacy and special detail and think, wow, what a perfect creator we have. And another can look at the same thing and essentially say, man, how lucky is it that it turned out this way? <laughs> the reason that people can look at things that are so clearly God and ignore that there is a God is because one of the results of a sinful life is a depraved mind that causes us to not acknowledge God at all. The mind that rationalizes everything, follows every hokey theory, and every new scientific finding that tries to disprove God. And I've said it most, I've said it very recently, but what we find in the vast majority of science where the results are not skewed is that science has done, scientists have done their best to disprove God, and science has done its best to prove that there is a God. There is a creator. There is a higher power. You can't look at the galaxies, friends, as a, as a person who follows God. You can't look at our galaxy. You can't look at the rest of all of creation and think, man, that is lucky that it turned out. You can't look at the human body. You can't look at the human body. You can't look at things like love. Things like <laughs> childbirth. You can't look at those things and say, man, it's lucky that these things turned out like it has. And there hasn't been some other astronomical explosion that has changed them drastically since the beginning. What happens is, is people do their best to say that the truth of God is a lie and they worship other things instead of God. But then they just all together, they just push him out. There is no God. They acknowledge that there is no God. What is the natural results of Christians who have gone down this path? What is the natural results for Christians who have gone down this path, who have gone down to the path of sin to a depraved mind? We stop looking at all sin as an affront to the holiness of God. We stop looking at all sin as bad. You've been here. You've been here. You might be here right now, but you've been here in your life. We allow culture to dictate what is right and what is wrong. Christians can even lose a clear, uh, clear-headed understanding of sin and of God. We become unfazed by nudity and uh, sexual immorality and adultery and divorce. We become unfazed by deba- debased acts that we watch on, on television or in videos We become numb to the things that are just truly not of God. We accept sex and marketing and every other thing as okay because it's commonplace. 
And our senses are often numb to depravity because our mind, when we follow the enemy in sin, is given over by God. There's a second thing I want to mention today, and that is since the Lord has given up on man, man has lost his ability to restrain sin. Therefore, God has given them up to their lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. We will spend much of our time this week, a a little bit of our time this week, and much of our time next week talking of the litany of sins that God, uh, that Paul mentions through uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that go unrestrained because of the Lord giving people up. But I think it's important to understand that not only has mankind been given up to a debased mind because of the fall, because of an abandonment of God to sin, but his ability to fight sin, to restrain it, has been completely dominated. We discussed this, we, we discussed this um, a few weeks ago, uh, but Adam and Eve really didn't know what they were getting into in the garden when they wanted to be like God. They lost everything we know. And we commonly go to the fact that sin entered the world, and that should be the first thing we see out of that story. But something we should not take lightly is that it wasn't one sin that entered the world. It was a flood of sin. Adam and Eve were living in a bubble, and they were protected by Uh, from sin. They had no need to restrain sin because God held it away completely. But their sin opened the floodgate of sin for all of mankind. Therefore, we not only have a problem with sin, but we are completely ineffective in defending ourselves because man was not created to have to defend himself from sin. God was the defender. Man was not created that way. Adam and Eve were not created to have to defend themselves from sin. They were created to rest in the perfect protection and perfect care of God. But instead, they chose to be like God. And whereas sin was restrained, God completely unrestrained opened the floodgate of sin into the world. Now, there is some restraint of sin for those who belong to Christ, right? We have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. But as a whole, in the world, sin is unrestrained. Now, I know many of you will scoff at the idea that America was founded on Christian values, um, but you'd be wrong. I mean, I know that everyone wasn't a Christian that founded America, but America was founded on Christian values, on Christian principles, and there have been a, there's been a remnant in this country since the beginning of people who have withheld, uh, upheld, excuse me, those Christian values. And I believe it's one reason, not just an industrialism or, or uh, the idea of the American spirit, but it's one reason that America has been so successful in general as a nation, and our freedoms, this Constitution, has been preserved for the amount of time that it has because of this faithful remnant. I believe this to be true. 
I believe that God has blessed America because of, because of the remnant's faithfulness to uphold Christian values. I believe that. I know that this is not very popular, especially on Twitter. And I believe as a result of that, God restrained sin in a way from having this hostile takeover on our country. But things changed. Things changed in the 1960s, I think. I'm not, again, you have to hear me. I'm not saying that America has been perfect throughout history. But I am saying there has been a remnant that God has honored and allowed America to be restrained from some of these, uh, some things that other countries have dealt hundreds, if not thousands of years with. But in the 60s, with the sexual revolution, people were sold a lie that freedom and hedonism were the answer to their worries and really life in general. Now there's a new sexual revolution, and we're finding, we'll find that in another 40, another 60 years, that that revolution will be found wanting also. Do you know why I think the sexual revolution of the 60s was evidence that the Lord was pulling away some of the restraining power over sin? It's found in our passage today. One of the signs, friends, of the inability to restrain sin is being given over to sexual sin. It's odd, right, that Paul mentions this whole list, but kind of separately and by itself, he mentions being given over to sexual sin. He's got this huge list, but first and separately, he mentions sexual sin. I think it's because sexual sin is a sin against the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And it really is the first time that we shake our fist at God and we say, you don't have a place in my temple. I'm going to be the one that is praised. Sexual sin is the first sign that we have lost our ability to restrain sin and our mind is depraved. So God gives man over to this overwhelming desire to commit sexual sin. And Paul points out two of those sins. The first of those is sexual impurity with one another. Sex itself is a wonderful gift meant to enrich for bonding and for basic human joy. It is to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage for the enrichment of the marriage. To bring joy to our spouse, to fight off outsiders, to fight off enemies who would come in and try to destroy our marriage, and to worship God. But anything, and I mean any sexual act outside of marriage, cheapens the created order. It cheapens what God has done to keep and preserve His people. We live in a culture that sexualizes everything. Where sex is like waking up in the morning or eating. There is little to any thought about the partner or about the future of the partner or about what that is doing to the emotions and the feelings of that short-term partner. People are in such a frantic pursuit of personal pleasure that fulfills their needs in every way possible that they have little concern about the God of the universe or the person that they're with. It leads to bodies and body parts being celebrated and not the person themselves. Men, if you're honest with yourselves, if most men are honest, the way our minds function, if our minds are depraved also, the way our minds are formed, if our minds are depraved also, it is very easy for us to see women as 
things and not image bearers of God. It is very easy for men to see women as, as objects and not image bearers of God. It leads to bodies and body parts being celebrated and not the image bearer themselves, and not, especially not the God who created them. The inability to restrain sin leads to sexual perversion. It leads to pornography addictions. It leads to disease. And it has led to a massive abortion rate because sin unhindered leads to more sin unhindered, leads to more sin unhindered, leads to more sin unhindered. And guess what? It leads to a whole bunch of empty people. People who were trying to fulfill themselves through every personal gratification possible leads to emptiness. Paul denotes man's gift of the treatment. Uh, Paul denotes man's gift of the treatment of sex as being one of the first signs that man has been given up to a depraved mind and has an inability to restrain sin. There's another sexual sin that Paul mentions: sexual impurity in unnatural ways. First is sexual impurity in natural ways. The second is sexual impurity in unnatural ways. Paul mentions homosexual acts as a second sexual sin that leads us to know that sin is not being restrained. Now, I know it's cute for some Christians to say, well, homosexuality is just like any other sin, but that just isn't true. It's not true, friends. It's not true. What we find is that sexual sin, whether it be homosexual or heterosexual, is unlike other sin. Because these sins are directly against the body and these sins, um, these sins, they are against God, not just the person that we're sinning against. Whereas a person who is pursuing Christ would have some level of restraint in these sins, the person who is following self would not. And a sure sign that a society is on a decline is that sexual sin is on the rise. And I don't know statistically that heterosexual sin is on the rise. I'm, I'm sure that there has been a consistent amount of whatever going on for a long time. But it would be clearly, a, we, we could clearly um, see in our society today that uh, homosexual sin is on the rise. And it is almost a rite of passage in many places. Like, you know, it's a joke in, in movies that women have a lesbian stage at college. Or something like that. It's, it's almost a joke. It's a rite of passage for, for, for that in, in a lot of uh, areas and a lot of cultures. There are articles that suggest that heterosexuals are immoral because they are unwilling to participate in homosexual acts. Now we know in many ways that we are on a decline as a society and the prevalence of these sins is one sure way to know it. Not just a prevalence of homosexual but a prevalence of heterosexual sins also. Paul said that they, were, they gave themselves up. And what they gave themselves up to was from a natural way to an unnatural way. Which is just a further step in the debasement of, of mankind. I think you understand what that means. But for more simplification, the natural created order is for a man and a woman. God created their body parts to fit in a natural way. When a man commits fornication, he is sinning against God, but not in an unnatural way. That was the way God created it, minus out of the, out of the bonds of marriage. When a man or woman commits a homosexual act, he is sinning against God, but it is in an unnatural way. First, physically, these things do not work out naturally. And we see, and one of the basic reasons that the, there are many 
many, many, that the transsexual movement does not work is that if you, if you were lived in a world without technology, it would be simple as to who these people actually are. When you couldn't take their body parts away and change them, it would be simple as to who the vast majority of society is. But also these, these unnatural acts go against the created order of God. The result of these sins is a further abandonment of God in sin and then a further abandonment from God. The further punishment both in this life and the next. We'll spend the next few weeks, I will spend the next week looking at this sort of list of sin. But I want to just, I want to leave you with this because I don't want to leave you on the negative side. And this is the third point and I'll be, I'll be super quick. Even though the Lord has given up on man, the giving up is not permanent. Friends, you need to hear this. God gave up on all of mankind. All of mankind. But that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. That's what makes the gospel so wonderful. Because where all of man deserved hell, no one deserves eternity with God. No one deserves restoration. No one deserves pursuit. No one deserves to go from slave and stranger to child and friend. But where man was given up, where man was abandoned, God pursued. And I don't use this as a justification to sin, but this is one of the most beautiful thoughts that I think to myself regularly. My willingness and pursuit of sin is not stronger than God's willingness and pursuit of me. I don't use it as, a, I don't use it as an excuse to sin. I don't use it as a license. And you shouldn't either. But my willingness and pursuit of sin is not as strong as God's willingness and pursuit of me. Friends, we are not without hope in the world. But something that we must be very careful of is being so in the world that we lose our minds and we lose our ability to restrain sin. You might, it might have happened simply for you. It might have just happened by you being like, you know what? They have a point. They have a point. You know, that, that, is, that is weird. I have questions about this in the Bible. The reason is not because the Bible has changed or because you got really creative and, and were able to break the Omega Code or, 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 you know, you found out the truth or the secret numbers hidden in the Bible. That's not the reason. The reason is that you stepped away from God and you became stupid. That's the reason. If you question God, the reason that you don't see God clearly anymore is not because God changed or because he can be disproven. It's because you step away from God and now you are dumb. Don't blame it on God. Don't blame it on God. Blame it on you. And the reason you don't have the ability to restrain sin is not because, Bryce, you just don't understand. You just don't know what it's like. That's not it. It's not because no one can relate. It's not because that sin is too strong. It's because we step away from God and he says, okay, that's what you want? Do it. That's fine. Do it. 
But friends, we have the ability to restrain sin because the God who pursues us is stronger. The God who pursues us is stronger. And he gives us hope and he gives us life and he gives us brains again. Thank God. Literally and only. Thank God. We can pursue him. We can love him. We can know him. We don't have to doubt him. When we do, it's, you know, something we can work through with others. Because he has given us clarity of mind and he has given us the ability to pursue him by restraining sin and pursuing holiness. Pray with me today. God, you're so good. It is incredible that we walk away. It's incredible how dumb we can be at times. But you're good and you you clarify things for us. I, I am most clear when I'm walking with you. My brain is clear. My thoughts are clear. My hope is right. My, my ideals are fixed. My pursuits are pure-ish. Lord, when I'm following you, and, and Lord, we all need that. We all need to, to pursue that in a more real way. God, we love you. We praise you. You are so good, and you pursue us, and and that is enough. That is enough. Help us to believe that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.